Good morning. Good morning, church family, friends, guests. I'm so glad I get to spend Easter Sunday morning with you. And that introductory prayer, Rita, was awesome. That was like the first couple points of my sermon. I, I don't even need to do it now. Because I, actually, I have been thinking... about thinking about hope quite a bit lately, and I'll, I'll tell you why here in just a couple minutes. Um, but before, before I do that, I have a question I want you to think about, so just think about it. Uh, and actually, Rita really brought it up. It's this, when you talk about hoping for something, something good, something that you're anticipating, something that you hope will happen. When you talk about hoping that that thing will happen, how certain are you that it's actually going to happen? Say, well, that really depends on what we're talking about, doesn't it? I mean, because some things could be fairly certain and some things not very certain at all. Let me give you a few for instances. If I say, I hope that we have really nice weather for our church picnic on August 20th down at uh, Vancouver Lake Park. By the way, you might want to write that down. <laughs> August 20th, Vancouver Lake Park, Church Picket. It's going to be great. Uh, I, I really hope we have good weather for that. What do you think? You know, I, come on, based on history, probably what, 80, 90% chance the weather will be decent? It is the Pacific Northwest, I know that, but I'd say 80, 90%, wouldn't you? <laughs> All right, something else. Let's say I say this. I hope when I have to drive over to Portland, the traffic's not too bad. <laughs> really depends when you're going, doesn't it? I mean, if it's four in the morning during the weekend, pretty good chance, maybe 95% chance there won't be bad traffic. But if you're going rush hour on Monday, dream on. You know, maybe 5%. Or less? Okay, one more. I hope when I look in my mailbox, there's a check in there for a million dollars from Bill Gates. I suppose, technically speaking, that's possible in the strictest sense of the term. But it's highly, highly, highly unlikely. So maybe like point zero 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 one percent or something. And the fact is, if there is a check there from Bill Gates, it's probably a mistake. <laughs> so, uh, it's interesting that we use the same word hope to talk about all those different levels of certainty. Everything from maybe pretty certain to not very certain at all. Well, the hope I want to talk about this morning is not like those at all. It's a different kind of hope. It's the anticipation of something that is both really, really good and really, really certain. And it's, it's the hope you and I really need. Let me tell you why I've been thinking about hope a lot. Just a couple of months ago, actually on Christmas, my father-in-law passed away. 
Karen's dad. Two years before that, my father passed away. And two years before that, my mother passed away. And that's what happens when you get to be my, about my age. You know, death, death starts taking your parents away from you. And right after my father-in-law died, I was thumbing through my Bible, and I landed on the very passage that we're going to look at this morning. In fact, that's why we're going to look at it this morning. Because it spoke exactly to my situation, to what we were going through. Because it was written specifically to help some people who were grieving the death of some loved ones. And it was written to give them hope, to comfort them in their grief. That is exactly what I needed. Now, I don't know if it's exactly what you feel like you need today, but I want to tell you, sooner or later, you will. You will need this hope. And I know nobody really wants to think about death, especially, you know, on a beautiful spring day like this when the sun is shining and the flowers are blooming and the birds are singing and everything looks so alive. And we don't want to think about it. I mean, that's why we do, that's why we put off things like buying life insurance. It's why we put off making out a will. We don't want to think about it. And that, I suppose, that would be sensible if death were only like, you know, a possibility. 50% chance or less. But but it isn't. We know that. It's not a possibility. It's a certainty. And to not think about, to ignore a future that's absolutely certain, that just doesn't make sense. That seems very foolish. Let me compare it to something else that's certain that we ought to prepare for. Okay, so you parents, if you're a parent and you have young children... You know that something is going to happen to them about the time that they become teenagers when they enter those ages. Okay? You know it's going to happen. It happened to you. It's happened to every adult on the planet. And it's going to happen to them. It's it's dramatic. It's life-changing. And it can be, you know, it can cause all kinds of emotional upheaval. And you know what I'm talking about. It's when their body begins to change from that of a child to that of an adult. And it's absolutely going to happen. And if you love them, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to try to help them prepare for that. You're going to need to have some conversations with them about what's going to happen, to help them understand it, to anticipate it, and to be able to face it with some confidence. And you need to do that whether you want to or not. Because, you know, you love them, and you want to help them. And 
to avoid talking about it or to keep putting it off because you think, oh man, that's going to be awkward. You know, they're probably going to feel uncomfortable. I know I'm going to feel uncomfortable. No, to let, to let some discomfort keep you from having that conversation, to keep you from talking to your kids about this major life event, the event that's definitely going to happen to them, that frankly would be pretty irresponsible and, and kind of unloving. Well, death is obviously very different from adolescence, but it has this in common. It's absolutely certain, and it's absolutely going to impact your life. And my job this morning is to explain why Easter matters. Okay, death is why it matters. Death is why it matters. When Jesus rose from the dead, his resurrection transformed death for everyone who will trust in him. Because he overcame death, it no longer has to be something we dread. It can actually be something we face with confidence. And, and I'm not talking a 20% hope, a 50% hope, even a 95% hope. I'm talking about a 100% certain hope for a good future beyond death. And that's what we're going to read about this morning in the New Testament book called 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You have a note sheet in your folder if you want to take that out and... Um, take some notes. The, the references, the scripture is on the sheet. It'll also be on the screen. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I welcome you to open it up to 1 Thessalonians 4. If you want to help yourself to one of the Bibles there in the racks, you can do that. So this, this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul who in very strong terms, claimed to be an eyewitness who saw Jesus alive after he had been put to death. He saw him alive, and Paul, as an eyewitness, talks about that, and he is writing this letter to some fellow believers in Jesus who, as I mentioned, were grieving over the death of of some other believers in Jesus. And he's writing them to help them. Let's see what he says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. He writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He's referring to their death. Uh, Why he calls it sleep, we'll talk about in a minute. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Okay, just to interject. So what he's saying by that is, he's saying, I didn't make this up. This isn't, this isn't from me. This is from the Lord Jesus. Jesus gave me this information. That's what he's saying. This we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Notice what Paul's goal is in writing this. Verse 18, he says he wants them to encourage one another with these words. So these words are meant to encourage us. And then in verse 13, he says he doesn't want them to grieve like people who have no hope. So that means he wants them to have hope. The kind of hope that will help overcome their grief in the face of death. And so to give them that hope, that's what he's talking about. He's giving them, he's informing them of what is going to happen to the dead in Christ. Talking there about people who put their trust in Jesus and at some point die. I don't know if that feels very important to you this morning. I know when I was younger, it didn't feel very important to me. Basically because nobody had died that I really was that close to, that I loved. That's not true anymore. It means a lot to me now. But if if this morning it doesn't feel very important to you, you might try this. You might try thinking about somebody, like, do it. Just think about somebody you really love, someone you really care about, somebody whose presence in your life makes a big difference for good in your life. And then think about this. One day, death will separate you from that person. Either you're going to be standing by their grave or they're going to be standing by yours. And it's not a question of if. It's only a question of when. And whether or not you will have the hope you need at that moment to face that that dark time. Jesus came to give us that hope. That's what this is all about. And what is so great about this hope is that it gives us answers, solid answers to the deepest questions we have when someone dies. I mean, what, what, do, what do we want to know? When someone we love passes away, what do we want to know? We want to know, are they okay? We want to know, is this separation we're now experiencing. Is this permanent? Is this forever? Or is this just temporary? And we want to know, is their future going to be good? That's exactly what this tells us. That's exactly what this tells us. These are answers to give us hope in our in life's darkest moments, in, in the face of death. So I want to show you these. We're just going to walk through them. These hope-giving answers about the dead in Christ. Again, he's talking about people who before they died put their trust in Jesus to make them right with God. They didn't 
they weren't putting trust in you know, their good deeds or how often they went to church or anything else that we might try to do to make ourselves better people. They put their trust in Jesus Christ who died and rose again and then later died. And so if, if that's you, if you have put your trust in Christ, if, if you have said yes to his offer of eternal life, then these answers apply to you also. And if that's not you, I am so glad you're here today. I'm so glad you're here today because these answers can apply to you if you will receive the hope that Jesus died to give us. You can have that confidence even today. So let's go through these. First, so some hope-giving answers about the dead in Christ. First of all, so the question was about the dead in Christ, are they okay? And the answer is, first, yes, the dead in Christ are better than okay. Better than okay. And the reason they're better than okay is because they're now with Christ. It says in verse 14, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Now, see, this is talking about Jesus one day fulfilling the promise he made before he returned to heaven. He made a promise that he's going to come again. He's going to return. We sang about that earlier. Um, he's going to return to this earth, he promised, and he's going to put an end to all this evil and suffering, and he's going to usher in his kingdom. He promised he would do that. And when he returns, this says, the dead in Christ are coming with him. With him. They're with Jesus even now, even though they've fallen asleep. And if that sounds confusing, you're thinking, well, wait a minute. How can they be asleep and be with Jesus? What, what is that? Well, you've got to know that this sleeping thing is referring to their body. We're talking about the resurrection of the body. When we die, when we die, the physical part of us, our body, becomes separated from the non-physical part of us, the self or the soul. And it's the physical part that's described as sleeping. I mean, dead body looks like it's asleep. Meanwhile, our non-physical self, if we belong to Christ, enters directly into the presence of Jesus. And that's why the dead in Christ are way, way better than okay. Uh, Paul talks about this in a couple other places too. 2 Corinthians 5.8, he says, we would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. And it's not on your sheet, but in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is in prison and he doesn't know whether he's going to be executed or if he's going to be set free. And he's thinking about it. He says, you know what? I'm kind of torn because to depart and be with Christ is way better. So... Of course the dead in Christ are okay. They're much better than okay. I mean, they're no longer dealing with the junk of this world. They're no longer dealing with the sufferings of this life. And they are in the presence of, they are hanging out with the most wonderful person in the universe. Meanwhile, their body's asleep. And the point of that is to say, it's not forever. It's temporary. How scary is sleep? Most of us would really like a little more. Sleep isn't scary. It's not something we're afraid of. We want it. Their sleep is temporary. Jesus will wake that body up again and make it 
Amazing. Amazing. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship, our, our homeland is in heaven. And from there we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, here we go, the reference to His return. Who will transform our lowly body? How many of you feel like you got a lowly body? Our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Oh yeah. One day this body is going to be glorious, man. <laughs> glorious. No more aches, no more pains, no more sickness, no more weakness, no more deformity, no more disability. C.S. Lewis once said that if today you could see someone in their glorified resurrection body, you would be tempted to fall down and worship them. So that's the first hope-giving answer. Are they okay? The dead in Christ are much better than okay. Second question was, uh, is this separation, is this permanent or is this temporary? Okay, the answer, if we are also in Christ, we will be reunited with them. So verse 16, second half, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive who are left. By the way, he's not saying, I know I'm going to be alive at that moment. He's just saying, whoever's alive at that moment will be caught up together with them. Look at that, with them. What a wonderful little word, with. It's a beautiful word. There's a very real sense in which you could say that life as it is meant to be lived is all about with. We are meant to live in relationship with God and with others. You think about, if you, if you know the account of when God created the heavens and the earth and He first creates humanity and He creates the first man, He's just got through saying again and again after everything He makes, it's good, it's good, it's good. And He creates man and He goes, it's not good for the man to be alone. Aloneness isn't good. And so He creates Eve to be with him to be with him we literally were made for relationship and that's what's so terrible that's what's so terrible about sin and death they separate us from the relationships we were made for that's what's so awful sin separates us from god the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God of all glory, the God who created everything good, who supplies us with everything good, the God who created pleasure and joy, this God who alone can satisfy our longing for joy, our longing for purpose. We try so hard to find it in everything else, and it doesn't work. It's called idolatry. We were meant to find that in God. The God who created us, sin separates us from Him. And sin separates us from one another. We know that. You know, why do we have conflicts? Why do we, why do we fight? Why do we have these problems and this relational drama? It's because of selfishness rooted in our hearts and it flows out. It just causes all kinds of chaos. Sin separates us from one another. 
And sin is the reason there is death and the separation that causes. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. Death separates us from the ones we want to be with. That's what makes death so painful. The separation. You know, several times since my parents died, I've caught myself, the thought will pop into my head, I should give mom and dad a call. And then the thought comes to me, I can't. Because they're not there. I can't be with them. You can't be with the ones you love who die. And it's that separation that stings. But in Jesus, in Jesus, the sting of separation is temporary. What a difference it makes when you know, when you know you're going to see that person again. That makes all the difference. It makes the separation bearable. It's only going to be a little while. Do you know? Do you know this is why Jesus came? Do you know that? Do you know that he came to overcome the separation that sin creates? The separation of death, the separation of conflict, and most of all, the separation between us and God. Because that's the separation that causes all the other ones. Jesus came to overcome. That's why He came. That's the whole point of the cross. That's the whole point of the empty tomb. He came to overcome that separation. When the Bible says you were dead in your trespass and sin, He's he's writing here in Ephesians about believers in Jesus kind of before they came to know Christ, before they became connected to Him by faith. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Well, that's weird. How can dead people walk? Well, it's not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. It's it's talking about being dead to God. That's the root of all the separation we experience. And if that separation is not overcome, if that separation is not overcome, then our future is not one of certain joy, but of certain misery. Separation from God and from everything good forever. Now, we like to think about that even less than we like to think about death. But again, it would be irresponsible and unloving not to talk about it, because that's what Jesus came to overcome. That's why he came. He said this, John 3, 17 and 18, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What does that mean? Whoever believes in him, the Son is not condemned. 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already or remains condemned because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It's like you're drowning. There's a whole bunch of people drowning and in jumps the lifeguard and he says, I'll save you. We're all drowning. And those who say, yes, rescue me, he rescues. And those who say, no, thanks, I don't want that, drown. He didn't come to condemn them. He came to rescue them. But if they say no, they remain drowning and perish. Jesus came to overcome that. He came to overcome that condemnation created by our sin. How did He do it? How did He do it? Don't miss this. Verse 14, if we believe, or since we believe, that Jesus died. Did you catch the difference? Up to this point, He's talked about people falling asleep. He's talked about death being sleep. For those who are in Christ. He doesn't say that about Jesus. Jesus didn't sleep. He died. He experienced the death. The full agony of death and separation. Why? So you wouldn't have to. So that for you, death would be no more fearsome than taking a nap. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's us, to bring you to God. He experienced the death and the separation for us to bring us to God, to overcome the separation. And when you put your trust in Him, when you say, yeah, bring me to God, Lord Jesus, you died to overcome, to remove the condemnation, to give me life, yes, do it. Bring me to God. And He does. And it doesn't make everything instantly perfect. You know, it's funny. The Bible describes coming to faith in Jesus as, as a new birth. It's a spiritual birth. And, you know, if you've ever had little children, you, <laughs> you know as they're growing, they don't just immediately turn into mature adults and do everything just right, do they? takes a while, a long, long, long while. And they trip and they fall and they do dumb things. Well, spiritually speaking, it's very similar. We come to know Jesus. We, he, he connects us to God and the, the separation is now overcome, but we're spiritual babies and we have to grow and that's why God puts us in church families so that we can help each other. We can help each other learn to walk and grow and become mature in Jesus. But the, the separation is overcome. Jesus brings us to God. So, for those of us who experience that, the separation of death is temporary. The reunion is coming. Third answer. What's the, is the future going to be any good? For those who are in Christ, we will enjoy an amazing future together. So verse 16 again, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And here we have added another wonderful word. Added to the wonderful word with is the wonderful word always. Always. Always with them always with the Lord. 
You know, people sometimes ask me, hey, what's heaven going to be like anyway? And uh, sometimes they're a little, you know, I mean, I see the, the movies and stuff, and it's like clouds and, and harps, and I don't know if I'm into that. <laughs> Looks kind of boring. You know, he, the Bible does describe heaven for us, and it does talk about meeting him in the clouds here, but we don't stay in the clouds. And the Bible goes on to describe, and I, sometimes people aren't aware of this, that the ultimate destination of those who belong to Christ is not clouds, it's, it's the new earth. The new earth is going, the earth is going to be transformed just like our bodies are going to be transformed, and it's going to be glorious. Glorious bodies on a glor- glorious earth. It's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be delicious. Because it talks about us eating and drinking and touching and tasting and seeing and enjoying, but the main issue is not what's going to be there. It's who's going to be there. Everyone who belongs to Jesus is going to be there. And He is going to be there. He's going to be there. That's the reason eternity will never be boring. That's why it will be eternally satisfying. The Lord, the infinite Lord of joy, the one who is infinitely wise, the one who created all pleasure and goodness. Every little pleasure we've ever experienced is just the merest glimmer, the sample. Because we're in a fallen world. I mean, I look out and it looks amazing. I was looking at some daffodils over there. It's like, that's amazing. That color yellow. Do you realize God didn't have to create color? Why did he? Why did he? Because it's beautiful. And he wants us to enjoy it. And this world is cursed because of our sin. It's fallen. It's broken. We see its brokenness all the time, but there's still so much beauty. None of that will be true anymore. He will be there. We will be with them. Revelation 22.3 No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb, that's Jesus, will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. That's the hope we can have. That's the hope Jesus offers us. That the dead in Christ are better than okay. That if we are in Christ, we will be reunited with them. The separation's temporary. And together, we will enjoy a future of indescribable joy. And the point of all this is, it's certain. And that hope... That's what can encourage us. That's what can help us overcome our grief in life's darkest moments. But that raises a question, doesn't it? And some of you are probably thinking it. It's like, how can we possibly know that? How can we possibly know that's certain? And not just a bunch of wishful thinking like, I hope there's a check for a million bucks from Bill Gates in my mailbox. How can we know that? Well, there's really two questions. One question is, how can you know this is true at all? And the second question is, how can you know if it's true for you? Well, the answer to the first question is in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. This is so important to see. So many people miss this. They think Christianity is just another one of those faiths. 
And it's all just, you know, built on speculation and whatever. No, it's not. Paul bases the hope that he goes on to talk about firmly, solidly, completely on historical events. The death and resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus makes the Christian message of hope different from everything else in the marketplace of ideas. Because it's not based on speculation. This is not an appeal to blind faith. He's not saying, hey, just believe. It's, it's the thing to do. No. He builds it on the... In fact, Paul elsewhere says, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, forget it. Just go golfing. Just do something else. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. But he doesn't, because he saw Jesus alive. This thing is not an appeal to blind faith, and it's an appeal to accept the historical evidence of an empty tomb and of numerous eyewitnesses who saw Jesus alive, who went out and told everybody Jesus was alive, some of whom were put to death because of it, who had nothing to gain and everything to lose. But they did it. Now, what do you do with that? If you're not convinced by the evidence, my only question is, have you really looked at it? Because you can. You can. In fact, there's a really good book I'd recommend. It's called The Case for Christ. There's actually a movie in the theaters right now based on this guy's life who was an atheist, a skeptic, until he looked at the evidence. And this book summarizes that. And the evidence all comes down to the empty tomb, the eyewitness accounts, all those were written down within the lifetimes of those who actually made those claims. Look at the evidence. You know, based on what's at stake here, okay, can I just say, the one thing I don't understand is if somebody just shrugs this off and goes, oh, well. I can understand if somebody looks at the evidence and says, well, I don't buy it. Or I can understand if somebody says, yeah, I buy it. It's, it's solid. That's where I am. What I don't understand is if somebody says, hey, whatever, if it's true, if it's not, it doesn't matter. Are you kidding? What's at stake? So whenever I start worrying about death, whenever I start grieving, whenever I start fretting, I just have to remember history. Jesus really lived. Jesus really died. Jesus really rose again, and my hope is in him, and therefore my hope is solid. And that brings up the second question. How do you know if it's true for you? It's true for you if you're in Christ. If you personally receive the gift of hope that Jesus offers. And I know probably many of you here have. There may be some who haven't, and so if you haven't, let me just quickly summarize what the Bible teaches about how to have the hope of eternal life. First, admit you need it, because you're going to die, and if you're not in Christ, you're separated from God. So admit you need it. Jesus told people to repent. You've probably heard that. Uh, Mark 1.15, for example, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, repent's one of those weird religious words we don't use in everyday life, but we actually could. If your child was about to cross a busy street, you could literally say, repent. Because what that means is, turn around. Turn around. You're going the wrong way, turn around. Repenting is what you need to do when you're going the wrong way. Stop and change direction. 
Okay, well, if you've been living disconnected from God, if you've been living as if you're never going to die, if you've been living as if, you know, eternal life doesn't matter or you don't need it, just listen to what may be the most famous verse in all the Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. So God so loved you. God so loved me that He gave... He's talking about the cross. He gave His one and only Son that whoever... There's another beautiful word. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. God gave His Son so you wouldn't perish. So you could have eternal life. If you want eternal life, you need to admit you're going to perish if He doesn't give it to you. And that's the second thing. Realize that only Jesus can give it to you. (laughs) See, if what we're celebrating today really happened, if this really happened, that validates everything Jesus ever said. That's why the resurrection is so important. Because if it happened, that validates everything Jesus said. And he said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Sounds pretty exclusive, doesn't it? We don't like that. Sounds arrogant. Well, it would be if it's not true. Jesus is saying, no one else can give you what I can give you. Because no one else is who I am. And no one else did what I did. You know, every other faith, every other faith in the market basically tells you what you have to do to be good enough. The gospel of Jesus Christ is different. It doesn't tell you what you have to do to be good enough. I remember hearing a guy named Sam Albury He said all his life, he grew up thinking that Christianity was all about God rewarding good people. And then he realized that's not it at all. It's about God being kind to bad people. The gospel doesn't tell you what you need to do to be good enough. The gospel tells you what Jesus did to make you good enough. That's a huge difference. He paid the price for you. He conquered death for you. He obtained eternal life for you, and He offers it to you. And so that's three. Put your trust in Him and receive it. John 3.16 again. God gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The link between Jesus offering you eternal life and you having eternal life is believing in Him. What does that mean? It means trusting Him enough to take Him at His word and receive the gift. So, there it is. Do you trust Him enough to take it? You have to make that choice. Every one of us has to make that choice. You say, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust Him. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, I know, I really, yeah. And some of you are saying, I don't know if I can trust him. Well, here's an idea. Read what he says. Read about him. Read what the eyewitnesses, read how they describe him. And ask God, say, hey, if this is true, help me see it. If you don't have a Bible of your own, the ones that are in the rack there in front of you, take one. I mean, seriously, take it. 
put your name in it, take it home, and go home and look up like Matthew, the book of Matthew, or the book of John, and read. Read what Jesus said. Read what he did. And ask, can I trust this one who says he offers me eternal life if I will take it, if I will call upon him? See, that's how you do it practically. According to the Bible, you ask him. Romans 10.13, for everyone, glorious word, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will, not maybe, not might be, not probably, will be saved. Why? Because it's Jesus that does it, not us. In the name of the Lord is Jesus. If you want eternal life, if you want to be saved from perishing, if you want to have a hope that endures in the face of death, ask him. Ask him. So in a minute here, I'm just going to give us a quiet moment to pray. And that's just an opportunity for all of us. You know, if you if you have come to that place of saying yes to Jesus, then this is a time just to thank Him. If this is a time when you're just totally confused and have no idea, this is a time to think about, okay, what's the next step? What should I do? Yeah, maybe I should uh, put my question on that Connect card that I'm going to turn in here in a few minutes. And Scott can read that and maybe... He'll get in touch with me, and I will. Or you say, I, want, I need more information. Or what was the name of that book? Or whatever. Take a step. But if you're here today, and you know, you know you need eternal life, and you know you don't have it, Jesus is offering it to you, and you can ask Him for it. And you, in that moment, you don't have to pray out loud, because He knows exactly what your heart, where it's at. And you just say, Lord, I know, somehow I know, I know I'm going to die and I know I need eternal life and I'm choosing to believe today that you offer that to me freely and I'm telling you I want it. I know that if I were to die today, that my sin would keep me away from you because I know I'm not good enough. I need this and I'm asking you for it. So right now, will you, with me, just bow? And whatever it is you need to talk to the Lord about or want to talk to the Lord about, just take a couple minutes and talk to Him. And then I'll close here in just a couple minutes. Lord Jesus, we celebrate You today. We celebrate what You did for us And Lord, we just ask You to hear every prayer and to respond as You promised You will with grace and mercy and compassion. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's questioning and confused but wants to know, Lord, will You please lead them to that place of understanding and of decision to trust You. And if there's anyone here who is now a new baby, to whom You have just given spiritual birth, Lord, will You help them? Help them grow. Help them get all the help they need to grow. Plug them in. And Lord, may we just be very grateful people today for the hope that You came to give us. Strengthen our hope, I pray, in Your name. Amen. So what's going to happen next is... Our music.